So I wanted to start by you. So anyway, what I was going to say was I was working on this, and then Isaac called me, and I just grabbed it and pulled it out and thought I would run it by you guys. I am going to teach this to the men's group on the 19th of the month. So there's a few rough spots in here, so you're going to have to give me some grace because I didn't have time to edit it the way I usually do. When I do one of these, I write it at least four or five weeks ahead of time because there's five of us who teach in that Bible study, and we each take turns teaching. And I write mine the first week, and then I work on it all week. Well, I really wasn't done with this when I gave it to Isaac, so give me some grace if you find some misspelled words or something like that because I was not an English teacher. I was a, I was a biology teacher. Okay. So the first, I ran into this statement that I'm going to put into this when I do the men's program, and I thought it was really interesting. History is not haphazard or, or cyclic. It is moving towards a specific point, the return of Jesus to rule and judge mankind. And so when we look at the world today and we see all the chaos and everything that's going on, it's purposeful. We are moving towards the return of Christ. And uh, I know every generation probably thinks that this is the generation in which Christ is going to return. But someday he is. And I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that it's my generation because there is a verse in the Bible that talks about uh, when you see the olive tree bloom, then you know that my coming back is soon. Well, the olive tree is a symbol of Israel. And Israel bloomed in 1948 when these scattered Jews from all over the world came back to the land of Palestine, and they changed the name of Palestine to Israel. So that generation, the Bible says, that generation which sees that happen will not all be gone before I return. So I'm hoping that's me. Yeah, 100 years. Yeah, 20 would it be that long? A hundred years would be two thousand forty-eight. I don't know if I can. I don't. I don't know if I can hang on that long. Yeah, because uh, I'm seventy-eight. <laughs> yeah, I'll be fine. Thank you. Yeah. I'll be saying, well, we've been married 82 years, you know. Anyway, what is the future of the United States spiritually? That's a great question. The answer is that we really don't know. Will we remain a superpower? Will we remain the financial center of the world commerce? Will we continue to politicize the FBI, the IRS, the Justice Department, and we, until we become a police state like China? Will the United States even exist when Christ returns to receive his bride, the church? All of these are great questions, and predicting the future is always thin ice. But have you had those kind of thoughts? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But don't, but don't get too demanding on it, because cause, cause I was sharing with my uncle one time that... Uh, I think the end is soon, 
And he went over to his library and got a book out and handed it to me. And the title was Mussolini, the Antichrist. Well, that was 80 years ago, you know. So uh, we don't want to be too dogmatic about it. It is fun. Yeah. I do know this. Israel went through the same cycle that America is going through. If you read your Bible, it's very obvious. Israel went through the same cycle that America is going through. And if what happened to Israel happens to America, the future is not good. But don't be disheartened. There's still hope. But change will have to take place. America has had a great Judeo-Christian past. Its present state is not good. When I was a young person uh, growing up in Deer Lodge, every church was full every Sunday. Now many of those churches only have 25, 30 people in them. And uh, they have part-time pastors. And I just could not imagine at that time the changes that have taken place. And I also want to say to you, I'm talking from three generations from where many of you are. Everyone in this room could probably be my grandchild. And when I talk to my grandsons, they don't think like I do. And so what I want to do tonight is give you my thinking, and then you can take and do what you want with it. Okay? But don't be disheartened. There's still hope. But change will have to take place. America has had a great Judeo-Christian past. Its present state is not good. It is not good politically. We are a deeply divided country. We are divided among political lines that have evolved into thinking other Americans are the enemy, not the actual enemies of our countries, such as Russia and China. And I can tell you, in the 78 years that I have grown, that wasn't always the case. We had Democrats and Republicans, but our differences were not that great. Today, I, I almost feel like if one party was in power and we lost a war, the other party would cheer. The division is unbelievable in this country today. Israel had a glorious beginning under Saul, David, and Solomon. But by the fourth generation, the country became divided, much like America is now, with a southern nation of two tribes and a northern kingdom of ten tribes. Do you know how that happened? Solomon's son was to rule the ten tribes. And he asked his young advisors, now my father was pretty hard on people building the temple and all that. Should I relax and let the people live or should I be harder on them? Yeah. And uh, he decided to be harder on them and ten tribes left. And so there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The previously, of actually the next sentence, just skip it. I, I, I went over that sentence three or four times, doesn't make any sense. Only with a few exceptions upon rare occasions, a few good kings in the southern portion brought revival. But most kings were bad spiritually, and the nation followed in kind. We, we have many politicians today that are Christian in appearance, but they're not Christian. And I would say to you, Biden is one of those. You can't be for 
abortion and some of the other things that he is for and love Jesus Christ. It's just obvious to me. Now, of course, when Trump was president, he did a lot of good things for Israel and the Christian movement, but he was such an egotist that people couldn't get past some of that. So, you know, so we don't look to politicians to solve our problems. We look to Christ. But what I wanted to bring out there is that the fourth generation fell away. Now, Laura and I are basically the first generation in our family, and our second generation is doing pretty good. I have two daughters who are in full-time ministry. One has served in Africa for over 20 years. Their children are now in their 18 to 30-year-old bracket. Most of them are doing good. There's a couple that are having a few spiritual problems. But I have no idea what's going to happen in my family in the fourth generation. So there's often a drifting away. And I pray for everyone in my biological family every day. And I think that's all I can do. I call them on the phone and I text them and I try to have a relationship with them. But uh, I came to the church today and one of them said to me, Hi, old man. <laughs> And I was hoping he was kidding. In Second Chronicles 15-3 states through a prophet, For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. That could be said of America. For a long time America has ignored the true God and turned to other gods of their own construction. What are some of these other gods that are in America today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, we became a wealthy nation. And part of that wealth, in my opinion, was that America financed most of the missionary movement in the world through churches. But now churches are in decline. Thankfully, the one we go to, I don't think, is in decline. But churches are in decline in general. They don't have the budget to send out missionaries. And the word is not being spread the way it used to be spread. There are a couple of denominations that are really involved in that. Uh, you might remember a few weeks ago, I stood up in front of the church and talked about a mission board here in the church. And that's one of the reasons we did that. We want this church to be effective in spreading the word across the world because I think that is the function of the church. At one time, nearly every pastor was a Bible-believing teacher-pastor. Sadly, many pastors today are merely good people who are more of a social worker with leftist leanings than true Bible-believing men and women. I talk with pastors on occasion, and I can't believe how some of them think. One of them said to me one time, you don't really think that Jesus blessed the two fish and the loaves and everybody got fed? I says, yeah, I do. I says, what, what's your opinion? <laughs> well, when the little boy got out his food, everyone else got convicted and got out their food and started sharing it. 
I didn't stay in that church. <laughs> the, take the word literally, I think is the safest thing to do. This is especially true of many historical churches that have been around for centuries. Consequently, because America is without the true God leading our leaders, both at the state and national level, we are without the principles and laws of the Holy Bible. I would have never thought when I was in my 20s that we would be debating the right for legalized abortion, the right for same-sex marriage, even to the point that we actually debate there are more than two sexes in the human race. That is so far from what I thought was going to happen in America. But it's here. We as a nation have become a law unto ourselves, which is an indicator of end times as stated in the book of Romans. In Romans 1.18, it says that people begin to do what they wanted to do, and God got disgusted and just let them go and just turned them over to their own wickedness. And that's what's happening in this country. I think God is withdrawing his hand in many ways. Now, will he come and meet people who want revival? Absolutely. But hearts are hard. As bad as all this is, and I don't think that we know the half of it, we could include the unimaginable sex trade market, corruption at every level, financial greed to the point of destroying others for the sake of reputation and money, yet there is hope. I know that each generation talks about the good old days and criticizes the generations below them and how bad it is. Look around. Now, this is unbelievable to me today, too. Look around. The FBI and the IRS have become investigative agents for one political party over the other. Out-of-wedlock childbearing is creating dysfunctional families faster than we can counsel them back into health. Self-pleasure sins are everywhere, and we deal with them by making gambling, sports gambling, and same-sex marriage on the same legal standing as traditional marriage. What the world does is say, well, if that's sin, let's just legalize it. We won't have a problem with it. But that's not what God has asked us to do. A good example is the legalization of marijuana, first for medical reasons and then for recreational use. And now the state is getting greedy. They don't know what to do with all the money that's flowing in. Watch, this will eventually lead to other drugs being legalized, all exasperating an already dysfunctional society. The consequences is the deterioration of the traditional family unit one of one mother and one father. I fear that many young people, such as some in this room, might think that this is normal. It's not, and it was never God's plan for the family. After church today, uh, Laura and I have been praying for a woman uh, who has some issues in her life, and uh, she brought her boyfriend, and he has issues in his life, and we visited with him after church today for a couple of minutes. And I said, well, are you two living together? Yeah, we are. Well, you ought to get married. If you're not, re if you're not ready to get married, you ought to separate. That's what the Bible says. How'd they take it, Lord? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? You can't, you can't come to church and say, God bless me in this non-biblical environment I live in. Yeah, God answered my prayers. You know, and I just think we need to start getting bolder at times. And there's also some people who may not know what the Bible says. I remember giving a Bible to a young person one time, and she opened it up and said, uh, what's all the numbers by the sentences for? <laughs> That's how far people are from what we think is normal. Of course, this is all a spiritual battle in high places by Satan. If he can destroy the family, then children are not brought up under the teaching of the Bible and the need for salvation, the only real hope for America. Certainly the government is not going to lead us back to a Bible-believing country. Separation of church and state have been used against Christianity by the government. Our government turns a blind eye to other world religions and even mandates and encourages classes on critical race theory and world religions, meditation, all under, all under the guise of tolerance except for Christianity. And that shows you that this is a spiritual battle. If Satan can totally destroy the family, then he thinks he's won. And we have to hold tight to the principles of family. But I know there's young people everywhere, and they see it in the media, they see it in their friends, hey, let's shake hands by having sex. We need to start teaching the generation is that's a real wonderful blessing from God inside of marriage. But we've gotten too far from that. Way too far from that. Some might not even know they are being used by Satan. But make, make no mistake, if you're not of Christ, you are of Satan. Now, is that too harsh? That, that's what the Bible says. Yet there is hope. I have hope, but the solution only comes through the one true God and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The hope was available for Israel, and they didn't endorse it as, spirit, as the spiritual and political leaders, nor did the common men and women, with few exceptions. They nailed that option on the cross with hopes of getting rid of it. It is also available for people of this nation, grace and salvation through the blood of Jesus and complete lordship of Jesus. Lordship is complete surrender to Christ. Most are not interested. Lordship means, Lord, you're in control, not me. You're in control. Revival happened for brief periods under good kings in the southern kingdom, but it never lasted past the life of the good king. Revival has happened in this country several times over the past 130 years. The first I've read about was the 1900 to 1910 period in California in a, store, in a storefront church that spread, spread across the nation, forming a number of denominations, including the Assemblies of God, this denomination, Church of God, and the Foursquare Church. 
It happened again in the period of 1965 to 75 called the Jesus Movement in which some 20 million young people came to know the Lord. I was one of those. How many of you went to Jesus Revolution? That's, that's my group. Okay. I came to the Lord during that time. I wasn't a hippie. I was a responsible young person. No. <laughs> the 1965 to 75 revival didn't, didn't necessarily form many new denominations, but brought new energy and life into many mainline churches. During that revival, existing denominations started filling with energetic young people who brought with them a new vision of what God was doing. And that's where Laura and I were at. Not a new doctrine, but an excitement that God was real, and indeed he did move mountains through prayer and fasting. That revival changed the way many churches worshipped, with hands raised and new songs that were full of energy. With every revival, the established churches experienced discomfort as they were challenged to become excited to tell everyone on the street about Jesus. I remember being so excited that a friend of mine and myself went into a shoe store, and the guy walked up to us thinking he was going to sell us shoes, and he said, uh, can I help you? And we said, yes, we'd like to tell you about Jesus. I mean, that's the excitement we had back then. That's what brought about that great revival, and 20 million souls got saved. Sir, sir, uh, some churches endorsed this revival, others did not. At that time, Laura and I were in the Disciples of Church Christ in Deer Lodge. They did not endorse this new way to worship God, and I, along with about 20 others, were asked to leave. And we did. We drifted for a short time until we attended a Pentecostal church that did endorse and welcome the energy we felt as new believers. We found a church that preached the true word of God and souls were impacted for the kingdom. That is the reason I attend this church, not because it is church of God, but because I feel the energy here that I felt in the revivals of the 1970s. Those young two girls that came early here and then had to leave, uh, basically they were going to the Baptist program at Montana Tech and they decided they wanted more and I believe God led them to this church. And they said the energy and the music this morning just got them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But even in this church, this Pentecostal church that we were involved in, there were some problems. Because that church taught that you tarried for the infilling of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. And we just came into the church and said, oh, you can speak in tongues? And we started doing it. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 no. You have to tarry at the altars. But we can't put God in a box. And some of them, not I, but some of them, you know, they were turned on to God. Then they'd go outside and have a beer and come back in. You know, I mean, it was a crazy time. And the, and the Pentecostal churches who were really into holiness struggled with people being so excited about God and yet living kind of secular lives. But you know what happened to most of those people? They matured out of that junk. Okay? Huh? Just like the hippies. Just like the hippies. So how does revival happen? 
Let's turn back to Second, Second Chronicles. But in their troubles, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him and was found by him. God is always waiting in the wings for a heart change in a soul and will respond whenever we turn in true repentance and holiness. So what we got to do is we've got to turn people back to the Holy Spirit. And revival will not take place until we do that. I sense by the Spirit a new revival coming upon America again. I don't know if you do or don't. It has started in Kentucky at a religious college a few months ago. Students started worshiping God for hours and then days. This time it was more orderly than what I experienced. It went on for 10 or 12 days and then students went back to class. But it spread to other colleges. I watched a video from Texas A&M. Large groups of students were on their knees and hands raised and simply saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And over and over with tears flowing down their faces for minutes and then hours. What would happen to this church if there was a sovereign move of God and we all got down on our knees and forgot about the sermon and just started saying, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus. You know, I'm not predicting because that's putting God in a box. But would, how many of you would like to see something like that happen? I'd love it. I would love it. Now, maybe the pastor would say, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Tim would roll with it. Tim would roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If 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 we had an altar, if, if people just flowed up here and, and and got on their knees and just worshipped for an hour, it'd be wonderful. I, I brought a man to church a week ago that I've known. It's kind of funny. He's sixty nine years old, and I taught him. <laughs> And uh, he's a Lutheran, and he opened up the bullet, and he said, uh, well, where's this order of service? And I said, oh, we just wing it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we really don't wing it. No, we really don't. Okay. These students, and I'm including you guys, are the future leaders of this country. And I believe that many will be changed permanently as they take positions of authority and leadership. I can tell you at times, I don't like the music in this church. Most time I do. But most guys my age hate it. It's loud. It goes on. It goes on and on and on. But the young people love it, and I can put up with it. Okay? My Lutheran friends, oh, they came. He thought it was loud and went out and got earplugs. <laughs> he said, my gosh, he, he, he goes to a Lutheran church in Deer Lodge. He looked around and said, in my church, everybody's old. And the young people in this church outnumber the old people. And he just couldn't believe that. 
But many churches are going to die because the last one who died closes the door. That's not going to happen to this church so long as we are a Bible-believing, serious church. We are entering the last great revival before Christ returns. Maybe. I hope so. But I really have no idea. I do know that I live expectantly every day for his return. I pray for the return of Christ every day. Do you? I pray for two reasons. I think it would be really neat to be raptured. And I don't want to go through uh, earthly death. I know that I'm probably closer to it than any of you. But these guys that are in this geriatric Bible study with me, uh, we talk about death quite a bit because we're close to it. And we wonder, is it going to hurt? You know, those kind of fearful things. So, you know, rapturing, being raptured, just a great option. Yeah. As I read about revivals, they often start with the young, with people like you. And you will do things differently. In fact, I was hoping there would be 30 people here tonight, and you would do things don't do it differently on Easter because uh, we will have a lot of strangers. <laughs> well, in some ways, it's the time to do it. But I would like to see you guys start doing it differently. I'd like to see people falling down in the aisles, dancing. Not fake, but because you're just so in love with Jesus. That when I taught, uh, some nights, I had a Bible study for high school kids when I taught, and some nights we would have as many as 50 high school kids in my home. And those kids got really turned on, and some of them are pastors today, but one of the girls really got turned on, and she was driving to Missoula one day uh, to go to a Christian concert, and they forgot to get gas in their excitement. They ran out of gas on the way to Missoula. And she said, Lord, I know it's your will that we get there, so I'm going to go down to the creek and get water and put it in the gas tank and ask you to turn it to gas so I can go to this. And she said, I put five gallons of water in the gas tank, started, started the engine, and went on. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that enthusiasm can do. And, you know, and the old folks would say, well, that ain't the way we did it, you know. <laughs> I, as I read about revival, they often start with the young. And you'll do things differently. Again, Second Chronicles says, Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. That is what's happening in many colleges across the country. The question for the established church, regardless if, if you are Pentecostal, Evangelical, or high church models, are we ready for what's coming? We pray for revival, often with a mindset of what that should look like, right? But God will not be put in a convenient box. Revival is coming again. I feel it in my bones. I pray that I will accept the new thing that God will do to get his church back on track. Do I expect to be challenged? Absolutely. I have become part of the establishment after 50 years of serving God. Will I be critical? I hope not. 
I pray for revival daily, and I have determined that God will be God and do it however he wants. I know this. I want to be on that revival train. I don't want to be standing at the depot saying, that ain't the way we do it. That ain't the songs we sing. Or that isn't the way we gather and call it church. I want to be stirred all the way to the bottom of my spiritual shoes. So when the revival train comes through southwest Montana, and it will, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit say, all aboard, I'm determined not to be standing on the platform watching the train pass by. And some of you who have grown up in the church might be just as stoic as I am because you've been around for a long time. See, I got saved when I was 27. So I know the difference between the pre-Gary and the post-Gary. My daughter was seven at the time, and she said, Dad, quit acting like a bear. That, that's how she saw the change in my life. I hope there, that, I hope that, I don't know what I hope. <laughs> I hope that is your personal, oh yeah, I hope that that's your personal prayer as well. America needs revival to survive and heal. We're not going to be a great nation if revival doesn't come. The hand of God is moved through prayer. I challenge each of you this week to literally get on your knees in your prayer closet, shut the door, rid yourself of distraction, and spend time praying for the revival of the church and the second coming of Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life, the church, and the nation. Won't you join me without excuse? Give me your thoughts for a second. What do you think? Are you guys praying for you guys? Yes, it did. Okay, raise your voice. I'm old and got hearing problems. Well, some of those people, you know, that some of them were younger than I am. And so some of them were lawyers today, some of them were doctors, some of them were in Congress. But those people, as they matured, became the salt of the earth. And we need, that generation is dying out now. I mean, uh, every day, Laura and I laugh, uh, you guys go to weddings, we go to funerals. <laughs> and uh, that, our, my generation is dying out. And you guys have to pick up the yoke and carry it. And uh, what we need is another revival to sweep across this nation so that those seats of power, positions on boards, all have a biblical influence. We will not make America Christian, but we can make it a lot better than it is.
The dysfunction in this country is unbelievable. Yes. And that's proof. Yep. Yep. And that's proof that this is a spiritual battle. Uh, last week, I don't know where the, I, I, I don't know who makes up this, you know. Uh, this is the day to recognize. This is the week, the month. But last week it was Trans Reality Day. Where all these, and they all went to the Capitol. No, this was here in Montana. Yeah, they were all in the, they were all in the Capitol. Yeah, well, there was a trans reality, right? Yeah, I don't know, but, but nobody is saying this is National Christian Day. They wouldn't tolerate it. I guess. It was. Yeah, right, right. I loved our speaker this morning, the way he talked about the cross. You know, I mean, the whole essence of Christianity is that Christ did not stay on the cross. That if I die, I will be resurrected. And we just need to get out there and get that message out there and pray for revival. And I hope that what I put together here, I haven't got it all perfected yet for when I'm going to do it in the men's group, but I hope that I've energized you and uh, made you think about, is there something more I can do to bring about revival through the Holy Spirit? And the first place to recognize it's not you, so you need to go to prayer and say, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, Lead me in how to bring about another.